You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please find a Bible and open it to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you are, and maybe you didn't bring a Bible with you. There'll be a Bible in front of you in the chair, and you can open that one up, and someone can help you find there, or you can locate that yourself, 1 Samuel chapter 21. And um, our sermon title uh, this weekend is this, it's um, The Decline of David. The Decline of David. How's that for encouraging? Happy Mother's Day, everyone, right? Now, but I'm not going to lie to you, I kind of am really encouraged by the title. Um, And this is a no offense to David. I'm I'm not happy David's going to struggle in our text today. Um, I'm not rejoicing in David's misery. But I am encouraged by this. I am encouraged that David is human. Um, I'm encouraged that David is not perfect. Uh, I'm encouraged that David sins just like me, right? So we said this before, the Lord, what he does in his uh, book, the word of God, he provides us with real people for us to learn from in scripture. Because can you imagine how depressing it would be if from start to finish, we were studying the life of David and David never, ever had a bad day. I mean, if we looked at his life and his whole life was one mountaintop experience after another and there was no stumbling or tripping or discouragement or longing for kind of brighter days and stuff, I think if that were the case with David, we'd be left to look at our lives and be like, what in the world is wrong with me? How come I'm struggling? How come I have tough days? How come I'm not always where I want to be? How come I have times of discouragement? And, but this is where God's word is so real. This is where... Um, There's only one hero of this book, um, and the only hero of this book is God himself. And David's life in his humanity and reality of his ups and his downs, his life ultimately points to this God. And that's why, again, there's only one who is worthy of our worship. Uh, That is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, Jesus Christ, and of course, the power of the Holy Spirit, him as well. Only God is worthy to be worshipped. And so that's why we don't worship a man and David, but we worship God. And literally, uh, God is is worthy to be uh, worshiping the ground that he walks on. It is right that we uh, worship him and fall to our faces to the ground because the Lord is awesome and he deserves all of that. This is why we're here. This is the reason we gather here even now, the purpose of the church, to give glory to the Lord. But this is awesome. Do you know this? That our God never, ever has a bad day. That's awesome. He never, ever has a bad day because he's perfect. He's he's perfectly in control. He's never stressed. He's never worried. He's never down in the dumps. He's he's always perfect. Again, another reason that we worship him. But did you know this? Because our God is so gracious and so generous, he has provided a way to have full access to him through his son, Jesus Christ, that for anyone who believes in him, and is saved by grace through faith in him that we too have the hope that one day so soon his son is going to return and we will see him face to face and then we too forever and ever will never again have a bad day. Woo-hoo! I can't wait. Bring it on, Lord, please. That'll be so great. Maybe right now you want to, oh, you want to clap for that too? We have that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Love clapping in church. And in fact, that truth is so awesome. You can turn to your neighbor right now and say, can't wait for that day. Can't wait for that day. Go ahead. Can't wait for that day. 
And isn't that, isn't that so awesome? Like David had so many bad days and we're encouraged, but God never has a bad day. And David looks to God and we look to God and we say, Lord, wow, that is going to be a good day. That will be a good day where there just aren't any more bad days. But in the meantime, there are some bad days, aren't there? And in the meantime, then we have to trust and look to our God to say, how do we live through these bad days? And that's why we have examples like David. Because we learn from David the good days and the bad days of how we are to live. And so in many ways in our text today and last week as well, but especially now in our text today, David's life begins to fall apart significantly. And in a humble and loving way, I'm like, yay, not just me, right, right? And let us remember though too, why are the lives, especially of the Old Testament saints, in narrative in this way? They are there in the Old Testament for our instruction. 1 Corinthians 10 says this explicitly, okay? It says, now these things happen to them. That's the Israelites. These are the stories of God's people in the Old Testament um, as an example. But they were written down, notice, for our instruction. So the Bible's telling us right now, and maybe you've never seen this before. The Bible's like, hey, these lives are written down as an example, but for us to learn from. For our instruction that we would learn and a lot from their mistakes. This context is specifically about the sins of the Israelites. So learn for how they messed up and be wiser than them. On whom, so for our instruction and then on whom, that's us, whom the end of the ages has come. We are living in the last age. We are living in post-resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are living in the age of grace. We are living in the end times, generically, and we believe specifically as well. And here's the outcome of this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. fall. Okay, so some of us, again, when we're filled with pride, we walk in, we're telling, I, I got it going on, I'm doing great, man. I'm just, I feel like I'm indestructible and I'm on this like mountain, I'm not going to fall from there. And the Bible's like, time out, man, time out. You are one step away from disaster. And that's the very reason we have, again, uh, stories like the life of David. Be careful, okay? Uh, take heed, lest you fall, because David himself was going to find himself in very difficult situations. So this is when we examine, um, specifically in 1 Samuel 21, the decline of David. But when you see someone so powerfully used by God and beginning to falter, I'm like, okay, wh- why? why did he falter and what happened? Why and what? What and why? And that's what our sermon is about today. We're going to look into specifically why did David decline? How did David decline? And so this becomes our outline. And we're going to start here. Three indications that I am in troubling decline. Three indications that I learned from David's life that I am in spiritual decline. Okay? Again, happy Mother's Day, all right? Now, indication, indication number one is this, okay? Uh, indication number one, I am declining spiritually, is this from David's life, when my faith begins to falter. When my faith begins to falter. When we come to 1 Samuel 21, David's running for his life from Saul. Saul is chucking javelins all over the place, trying to kill him. David also now goes through a heart-wrenching moment of being separated by his his covenanted friend, this beautiful biblical friendship with Jonathan. And and we see that happening as well. In fact, look at chapter 20, verse 41, okay? So this context is when um, Jonathan says, David, I'm going to go talk to my dad and find out how mad he really is. 
If he's not so mad, I'll come back with, some, with a boy. I'll shoot some arrows. They'll be short. If my dad's really mad and you need to leave, I'll shoot the arrows over the boy's head. I'll tell him to go run and get them, and I'll say, leave quickly. So this is what happened. Saul's really mad. Saul wants to kill David. So verse 41, and as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone. He'd been fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Okay, Again, heart-wrenching for David. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And David rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Okay, so again, live in the text, live in the text, live in the text. We've had context all the way along here. And put yourself in David's shoes. More than his friendship with Jonathan here, David's life seems to be unraveling. We have learned in 1 Samuel, David has lost favor. He has lost his job. He has lost his wife. He is running for his life. He has lost security. And now he loses his best friend. At least it feel like, feels like it immensely. Let's be clear, loved ones, right here. If there's ever a time your faith will be tested, it's this right here. This is when David's faith will be tested to the highest degree. Let's learn this too. Our faith is not tested when the sun is shining. Anyone can say things are great when the sun is shining because the sun is shining, all things are going well. That, that's no big deal. We don't really rely on God so much during those times because we, it's kind of the way we want it. Our faith is tested when the storm clouds roll in. And this, for David, this is a serious storm that has come upon his life. It's interesting, in chapter, I'll just read it for you. In chapter 20, verse 3, David says to Jonathan, uh, there is but a step between me and death. So again, putting yourselves in David's mindset here, he's like, I could die at any moment, man. In fact, he's like, I'm probably gonna die. Like, it's one step away, away from me and death. I just, can I take, the, the, the pressure he's under, uh, the anxiety that he's battling, the testing of his faith. And what happens as David's faith gets severely strained, it does begin to buckle. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob and to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Wait a second, did the... Did, did Saul charge David with anything? I don't, I don't remember that happening. Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. Um, I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. I don't remember David doing that either. And then he says in verse 3, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. Notice, first of all, Ahimelech is picking up on David's stress. Probably because David, like how exhausted must David look? How worn out? I mean, how much sleep is he getting? He's filled with this anxiety. He just probably looks so beaten down, worn down. Ahimelech is picking up on this stuff. He's a wise man. He's a discerning man. And the first thing, he's like, wait, 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 why are you alone? He's like, this isn't good. And something's not right here, David. And it caught, the Bible says these details are not here for no reason. The Bible tells us Ahimelech begins to tremble. Because he senses this is not good, this, this is not good. Now, right here, in the midst of David's tremendous stress, he has a decision. Do I buckle to the ways of man, or do I stay resolved by faith in the ways of God? We will find ourselves in these positions often. 
And David here, and I have tons of grace for him. I mean, this is, this is how difficult this is. But he ultimately chooses to go in the ways of man, not the ways of God. Because what he does with Ahimelech, he lies. And he lies repeatedly. Maybe his intentions were trying to protect Ahimelech and his family. Maybe he just wanted to, you know, kind of get, get in and get out. But at the end of the day, he lied. And it wouldn't be long before David would deeply, deeply regret this lie. In chapter 22, verse 22, what we find out in chapter 22 is Ahimelech protects David. Doeg was one of Saul's servants, which was there watching this conversation between David and Ahimelech. Doeg rats on Ahimelech, tells Saul. Saul is so mad, he summons Ahimelech. He finds out what has happened. Ahimelech basically says, yeah, I'm supporting David. I'm praying for him. Bless his heart. Saul murders Ahimelech, murders his family, murders the entire community Ahimelech is from. Men, women, children, even all the animals, they're all murdered because he simply helped David. One guy would would survive. He runs to David. He tells David what happened, and David says, it's my fault. I have caused the death of your entire family. We're learning here as David seeks to depend on his own ways that drastic consequences begin to happen. See, when our faith begins to falter, we make decisions. We are tempted to make decisions based on our own devices. When we're under the strain of the pressure, we want to see results so fast that often we can rely on our own wisdom and neglect the wisdom of God. So the principle right here that we have said a lot within our church is this. It's this principle. You can never go wrong by doing right. Under the eyes of God and the ways of God, you can never go wrong by doing right. How many times have you and I been tempted to lie, been tempted to embellish, been tempted to smudge the details. But in that moment, again, just another principle of Holy Spirit leading us and showing us and saying, hey, Robbie, Robbie, you can never go wrong by doing right. When you choose to lie, you're choosing to sin and you will choose to make your life very difficult from that point on. It just won't work out. Principles of truth. David's faith began to falter and he started to buckle under this pressure. But what caused this? The ultimate cause for David's faith faltering is the circumstances of his life began to become more prominent than the promises of God. I'll say that again. The circumstances of David's life became more prominent to him than the promises of God. The example of this is David was seeing so clearly now the javelins of Saul being thrown at him that he had forgotten the anointing oil of Samuel. The anointing oil of Samuel was a guarantee that David would be king. It was God declaring, your future is certain. Your future is guaranteed. So therefore, because God has revealed this to you in his promises, you cannot lose. You will be king. It's kind of like Paul was in prison, and the Holy Spirit came to Paul and says, you will not die. You will go to Rome. So whatever happened, Paul knows until he gets to Rome, he's not going to die. He can be beaten. He can be tortured. He can be in shipwrecks. He's not going to die because God says, you're going to Rome. And here is David, but he has forgotten the anointing oil, and all he sees now are the javelins of Saul coming at him. It has caused his faith to begin to falter. Some of us would be like, well, if I had anointing oil in my life, then I could maybe, you know, that would be easier for me than to rely on God. Well, well, time out a second, time out a second. If you're here right now and you're saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
if you're truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that means you have been filled and baptized forever by the Holy Spirit of God. That means that you are now adopted into God's family. That means that you are a child of God, that you can never be separated from God. You are always in his family. You will be carried on to glory. But God starts, God finishes. So you want to talk about anointing oil? If you're in Jesus Christ, man, you've been anointed with oil much more powerful than David God being king. You are now a child of the king all because of what Christ has done for you. But here's the problem. When we start looking at the javelins that are coming at us in life and we forget the anointing oil of God through his Holy Spirit calling us and making us his children, our faith begins to falter as well. What are the javelins coming at you right now that are causing you to look all horizontal, 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 and missing the vertical and the power and the reality of the gospel upon your life. When David sees the javelins, ironically, the shield of faith goes down and the darts hit him in his heart. When we just see the javelins of life, our shield of faith goes down because we're so concerned about this world. When we see the anointing oil of Christ upon our lives, the shield of faith is raised. And as Ephesians 6 says, the fiery darts of the evil one hit our shield and fall to the ground. And we are protected. This is why the gospel is everything. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the sandals of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth. It's every day. Armor of God. There we are. This is is what allows us to carry on by faith, not in self, but in Christ. But you see, David, his faith began to falter. Now again, we're encouraged by this because we see, wow, he's not perfect every day, neither are we. But the call then, trust me, David will end up in a pretty good spot after all this. But for right now, he's kind of going, he's kind of going down, downhill. And so we learn from this. And the question I ask, is your faith begin to falter? Have your eyes set on the javelins as opposed to the oil? You see, the truth is light and the light is life. The truth is light and the light is life. And so there's truth here right now and there's truth to come, but I want to go on to indication number two. Indication number two that we are in spiritual decline, it's this, when my fear begins to fester. When my fear begins to fester, a lot of F's today. So the problem of when our faith begins to falter, it won't be long before our fear begins to fester. And this is exactly what happened to David. David uh, leaves the town of Nob, and now he goes to all places to Gath, okay? Now, verse 10, look at verse 10 of chapter 21. It says this, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, if we know the context, and if we know the Bible, a little bit around this area of God's word, when we say gath, there might be a, a gasp. A, oh, you want to try that? And David went to gath. Okay, you say, well, why? Somebody's like, why are we gasping right now? I'm in church. I don't understand why we're gasping. Happy Mother's Day. All right, anyways. So we're, it's gath, but here's, here's what we understand, okay? If there was ever a move of desperation, this was it. Dave, David goes to gath. Where's, where's gath again? It's in the, it's in the nation of... The Philistines, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And um, wait a second, there's someone else that was from Gath. Um, who, oh yeah, right, Goliath was from Gath, yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure David uh, killed the giant Goliath who was from Gath. And so David has now in his desperation, he is attempting to go into enemy territory 
and I think he's trying to be incognito and somehow not to be seen, and he's trying to kind of blend in with the Philistines, but as we're going to find out, uh, this plan will not really work well. Look at verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Uh, did they not sing to one another of him? And so notice his fame now spreading across borders. Um, sing of him in dances. Saul struck down his thousands. David his ten thousands. Look at verse 12. Here's a turning point. David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So what did he do? He changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad? Why then have you brought him to me? And in a point of humor, in verse 15, the king says, Do I lack madmen? I got a bunch of crazy men in my house. He's like, I don't need him with me. Get him away. He says, get him away from me. I don't need one more crazy man before me. So this is not lost on the Philistines at all, just exactly who is in their presence right now. Now, let me ask you, when you see David pretending now to be insane, is this the same David who stood before Goliath and said, you come to me with a spirit and sword, I come to you in the name of the Lord? Seems to be a very, very different individual, trusting in vastly different sources right now, faith in God and now faith in something other than God, it seems. But see, this is the danger when our faith falters because now it can create a fear that festers. And when fear sets in, loved ones, it often will make us do crazy things. I want you to notice that the servants of Achish, they're referring to David as the king of the land. They seem to understand the anointing oil right now better than David does. They're the ones predicting that and believing he's going to be the king. But David himself, because of his faith faltering and his fear festering, he has lost sight of this. Now notice the connection in verse 12. Verse 12 is very important to me. I'll be important to you. And David took these words to heart, and he was much afraid. Notice, heard the words, reached his heart, and then filled with fear. I want to... I want to show this on the screen here. I want you to see this is very, very important if we try to live our lives here. And this is a bit of biblical counseling for us to understand that presents itself in verse 12, which I'm very thankful for. So when we live life in this way and we hear false words, when we receive condemnation from the enemy, when we hear things that just are flat out lies, this is Satan's greatest tactic in our lives, um, just to tell us lies. And we start looking at the world and receiving messages that are not true. When we hear false words and we start to believe them, and that combined with a failing heart, false words causes our heart to fail. When our heart fails, then we're filled with fear. This is, will be the result. And many, many people live in this way. Many, many, many believers. Many of us came in today, and we have been believing false words. Our heart has failed, and then we're filled with fear. This is what's going to happen. It's right in verse 12. Heard the words, went to his heart, and then he was much afraid you got to watch that. you got to be so careful of what we receive in our minds will ultimately determine how we feel and how we behave. What messages are we filling our lives with? So this is the wrong way. Big X is through this. Here's the right way, which we've taught many times in our church. Okay, and This is so great. What we need to do is get the fact. The fact is the truth, and the truth is the word of God. You live by the truth of the fact. You combine that with faith. 
Okay? So you're in a dark time, you're struggling, your faith is faltering. You need the truth of God's word. Fact combined with faith then leads to right feeling. This is, this is the train we are to live in. Don't be led by your feelings. Let the truth combine with your faith then inform your feelings of, of how you are to live and how you are to feel. So for example, yesterday morning, I wake up and I'm in Hebrews chapter 12. It's where my Bible reading plan has me. I've read this passage probably a thousand times. I'm in Hebrews chapter 12 and I get to the part where it says, where it says, uh, let us run this race with endurance. Now recently I've, I've been so encouraged, I just, a phrase in the last couple of months for my life has kind of been like, look up, hang on. Probably going to be a sermon series at some point. I just, I like it, a little preview for you right now. Look up, hang on. It's kind of the Christian life. So I'm in this text right here, let us run the race with endurance. And I'm like, wow, it's kind of hang on right there. Run the race, Maryland, hang on. And the very next uh, part of that verse is looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's look up. And so I'm like, wow, hang on, look up, look up, hang on. It's in the Bible. Woo, it's in the Bible. Of course it is because it's so biblical. But I'm there and I'm getting the truth. It says here, and, and consider him who endured such hostility. And it says, Jesus Christ endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him is now seated at the right hand of God. So I'm sitting there uh, by myself reading God's word and the fact begins to renew my mind. Uh, run this race with endurance. Look to Jesus. It's going to be tough, but Jesus has gone before you for his joy. Fact combines with faith, and the faith starts to uh, uh, run down through my life, and fact and faith, and all of a sudden, sitting at my kitchen counter with Hebrews 12 open, and I'm like, yeah, endure because of Christ, and it literally changes how I feel. Now I have the opportunity to stand here right now and just say it with such conviction because when you live it, but this, this is how it works. This is why God's word is everything. Because God's word is that which we put our faith in, which we then understand how to live and how to, even how to feel. If we're up here all the time, if all we are is watching TV, if all we are is on our smartphones and useless messages, all we are of internet, all we are listening to friends who have no concept of the Lord, or anything, all we are is getting bombarded with just things of the world. In the end, it's going to do this. In the end, you're just going to be living a life of fear. Fear of man, fear of whatever, fear of future. It won't be the fear of the Lord. So we're like, well, it's so simple, but it's so, it's so important. And we notice David here, he fell victim to this. He, his heart began to falter. His life started to fester with fear. And I want you to see this too, okay? The connection, um, how we think determines how we behave. So in verse 13, look at verse 13. It says, he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. Okay, so for a man after God's own heart, I think that's insane. It's insane that he's pretending to be insane. His fear, in a sense, is driving him mad as he pretends to be mad. So let's put one more F into this equation. Fear, inevitably, will lead to foolishness. If we're living our lives with fear, we're not following the Lord, and so we will start to become foolish. Now, in chapter 21, the part that we haven't read, but when um, David was with Ahimelech, he's like, you got some bread? He's like, yes. Do you have a sword? David asked Ahimelech. And, David, and, and Ahimelech's like, we got hardly anything, but we do have one sword. It's Goliath's sword. And David's like, that's good. I'll take that one. That, that's a good sword. So David, remember how big that sword was? Massive. He puts it on his belt, and now he's walking into Gath, the home of the Philistines, the home of Goliath, and he's got Goliath's sword on his belt, 
And somehow he thinks that people are not going to pick up on the fact that there's this sword on his belt that they probably will recognize because there's not many guys that big. And it just, it's just a little bit insight into the text where he says, David just wasn't thinking clearly. He, he just wasn't of clear vision at this time. And because his fear was leading to foolishness, I wonder if there was really ever a lower point for David than as he was scratching on the doors of the gate and essentially pretending to foam at the mouth. You know, for this culture, for a man to have saliva down his beard was an intolerable insult and dishonor, like the lowest of the low. And this is the anointed king of Israel, and this is where he is. And the king actually says, get him away from me. Again, I have enough madmen. So what do we learn from David here? Well, a couple of the things we learn. Let us, let us, let us be so wise. David was, was doing so well, and then in the midst of the pressure, again, I have so much grace for I said that, I have so much grace for him. But notice, all of us are only a few steps away from becoming crazy ourselves. Because in our fear, we just do so many foolish things. And so it sobers us to say, I have to keep my eyes on the Lord. Here's the impact of when our fear begins to fester. I have a few things I've written down here I want you to see. Uh, first of all, um, our vision is vacant. So for David, because his fear is off the Lord and his fear is on man, he, all of a sudden he cannot see anymore. His vision departs from him. He doesn't know where he's really supposed to go, what he's supposed to do. Secondly, this, um, our wisdom is wanting. When fear fills our lives and starts to really grow and be faster, because we can't see, well, then if you can't see, how do you get to where you're supposed to go? So then you lack wisdom. Our wisdom is wanting. And then thirdly, our behavior is, is bizarre, right? So if we can't see and we have no wisdom, well, obviously, we're going to behave in ways that is just flat out strange. It's just bizarre. This is, this is what was happening to David. And then lastly, um, our motivation is messed up. Our motivation no longer is of the Lord. Our motivation is for self, and we're trying to self-preserve and all this stuff. And so we see vision and wisdom and behavior and motivation. These things all get messed up, all because fear is festering within our lives because our faith uh, has begun to falter. So fear began to take over David. This was leading to his decline. Faith faltering, fear festering, and then the third indication that I am in spiritual decline is this, when my future begins to fade. When my future begins to fade. Look at chapter 22 now, verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of, of Adullam. So I just want to track the story of David thus far through this, through this series, through this, this book here. Okay, so watch, watch this here. So David began in the shepherd's field, and he was anointed king. From there, he is kind of skyrocketed to national fame. He's a national hero. He's in the palace. He's a servant of Saul, but again, anointed king. Then, not for his own fault, but things start to turn in a real tough place. He's starting to run for his life now, and now he's Israel's most wanted there. And then he ends up with Gath, and he pretends he's a madman. And um, so now we're a long way from the shepherd's field and a long way from the palace. And then from there, he um, is let go, and then he is now in a cave, and he's by himself. Um, in Adullam. It's really interesting to watch this and just to see when he gets down to this low point uh, right there. And I want you to imagine as David's sitting in that cave, what's he thinking? 
Uh, is this now the loneliest moment of his life? I'm trying to imagine the despair he must have been feeling in that cave, probably very dark, very damp, by himself. I want you to see this. Notice the connection between spiritual decline and spiritual isolation. Okay, so when we're declining spiritually, uh, we are often isolated spiritually. I didn't say uh, what a lot of people do is when they're declining spiritually, they find a group of friends that endorse their sin. So they run away from church, they run away from small group, they run away from any form of accountability, don't want to talk to their parents, don't want to talk to whoever it is. So they run to a group of friends, but that's, that's, not, that's not spiritual um, positive, spiritual negative. So spiritual decline so often is associated with spiritual isolation. Because what the enemy, the enemy incessantly wants to isolate and exterminate. Take you away from the house of God, the family of God, the bride of Christ, to um, isolate you and then to pound you into oblivion. And I've seen this so many times over 12 years of ministry here at this church. Over and over and over again, Satan's attempt, get the person, start to drift out of small group, drift out of the church, drift out of whatever community, and there they are, they're by themselves, and they are sidetracked into a disaster. And this is, of course, what the enemy wants to do with David here as well. So as David's sitting in the cave, I mean, what are the thoughts going through his mind? Is he like, how did I get here? What has happened to me? My life is done. I'll never recover from this. There's no point of going on. See, it's here that our future begins to fade because fear is starting to take over. And we have to watch this and, and notice this too. David's greatest battlefield is not with his physical sword. It's in his mind. The greatest battlefield is here. It's in our mind. And that's why the truth of God's word is oh so important. But here's what we also understand too. David got to the low place, okay? But a man or woman after God's own heart, they will find themselves in dark times. But a man or woman after God's own heart, they will not stay there. Because God is at work in their lives, they will even use this moment of great discouragement. God will create grace in that moment and lift them up to higher heights. So I like what Chuck Swindle said about this. He says, just because you're in the cave doesn't mean that it's curtains. Just because you're in the cave doesn't mean you call it curtains. And maybe some of you are here right now and you find yourself in the cave. And you're tremendously discouraged and you're fighting tremendous fear and you're there. I believe that if we let ourselves be broken and we let ourselves bottom out in the hands of God, I believe this can become some of our greatest moments of seeing God's grace work through our lives. Over and over and over again, when we are at our least, God will do his greatest work. And this, this will be David's life again. God is wasting nothing here. Now, if we ended this message on chapter 22, verse 1, I think that would be depressing, don't you? So, hey, faltering faith, festering fear, fading future. Good luck, everyone. Let's pray, right? I think, I think, I think that would be depressing, right? So we're not going to do that, okay? This outline is done in terms of decline, but we have one more point, but now we're going to stop the, 
the trail going down, and now we're going to start climbing up the mountain of God again by his grace and through faith in David's life. So we're done with the dissension. Now we're going to see the ascension. So here is one indication of glorious ascension. Here's where everything stops, and we now turn and start to go up by God's grace towards him again. We're battling fear. We're, we're, we're battling a, a crumbling faith. We're battling a fading future. And by the grace of God and the gospel of God, we turn the corner and we're set again with a vision for the Lord. And we're now starting to see God work in our lives and propel our vision towards him. And here's, here's the point then. It's this. I will see tremendous ascension in my light that is glorious when I know, very simple, very powerful, when I know that I'm a child of God. The moment I understand my identity is in Christ, when I know I'm a child of God, when I know I'm redeemed, when I know I've been saved, when I know the anointing oil has been poured upon my life and I rehearse the truths of the gospel, that is when fear is so battled against. That is when faith begins to be strengthened. But understand this. Satan and sin wants to keep you in the cave wants to isolate you, wants to pummel you, wants to make you feel discouraged and fill you with darkness because Satan knows that the moment light shines upon your light then you can see and then you can find your way out by God's grace. Your sin, my sin, wants to keep us in the cave. And some of us right now, we're in the cave because our, our sin and Satan has just has got us there and we're just so upset. And we're like, how did I get here? How do I get out? Well, if all we had with David's life here is 1 Samuel 21, that would not give us the full picture. But what God's word does, which is so amazing, God's word completes where David is at through specific psalms that David has written in the exact context of 1 Samuel 21 and verse 22. So what I want to do right now is I want to see how did David climb out of the cave. And for that, I want you to turn to Psalm 34. Turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is the exact context written in the exact context when David left Achish and then went away to the cave. Psalm 34. There's other Psalms too that are in the context of David in the cave. Psalm 56, Psalm 55, you can see those there as well. Now look at the introduction of Psalm 34. Okay, this, is, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This, this heading here was put there by God. This isn't added in by man. Okay? It says of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, another name for Achish, so that he drove him out and he went away. So here we are. If we just had chapter 21, 22... We wouldn't be that encouraged. But now we start, whatever happened to David towards the cave, in the cave, he started to come back to the man and the David we love and know. Verse one. I'm gonna read a lot of these verses here. I just want you to see what David did to climb out of the cave. I will bless the Lord at all times. Even in the cave, David, he learned especially in the cave. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. 
I will boast in the Lord. I will, I will look to the Lord. I will not look upon my circumstances any longer. I will not see the javelins of Saul. Let the humble, let the humble hear and be glad. Listen to this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, verse 3. Let us exalt his name together. So notice this. Eyes not on self. Eyes are on the Lord. And not only that, magnify the Lord with me. So now his circumstances are being used to look upon the Lord, but now he's used as a multiplier of disciples, and he's calling people to join him in his affection and worship of his God. Look at verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. Their faces shall the honor of seeking the Lord. Look down at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Amen. Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David's on a roll here now. Taste and see. See, he has, that's a massive principle. When you've tasted in the past the Lord is good, you ultimately cannot settle for anything less. You must eventually return to the taste you have, which is all satisfying and eternally fill you with joy from the moment you were saved and will carry you on to glory. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him have no lack. There it is again. His eyes are on the Lord. They're on the Lord. The fear of God. This is our answer. This is our answer when our faith is faltering. This is our answer when our fear is festering. This is our answer when our future is fading. Look at verse 11. Come, old children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So now David is a teacher. He hasn't just gone from surviving. Now he's thriving in the sense, I want to teach you what I've learned through my hardship and my trials. I want to show you the path of glory. Brilliant. Look at verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Wait, Dave, do you know anything about lying, David? Oh, yeah, right, you do. And look at him now. The conviction has been restored. He's like, I don't want to go back there again. I'm not going to lie anymore. Verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears towards their cry. David is living this out right now. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. How brokenhearted was David? And there he is, man. He's knowing the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted. And the Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. Look at verse 21. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Praise the Lord, amen? See what David's doing right there? Watch, in, in David's example, what is David doing? Eyes off of self, eyes off of circumstances, eyes on the Lord, the praise of God. Really what he's doing too is rehearsing the gospel as we know it in the New Testament. He's got truth, loved ones. Truth is light. Light is life. Truth, light, life. And if you look at verse 22 again, this is the gospel. The Lord redeems the life of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him, in his son, Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. 
if we are in Christ, we belong to him. We cannot be condemned. To be redeemed by him is to be a child of him. To be a child of him means we cannot be condemned. What is happening here other than the gospel? There is no gospel apart from Jesus Christ. Loved ones, loved ones, loved ones. Listen, listen, listen. The fear of the Lord is our answering to our faltering faith, but the fear of the Lord is found in Jesus Christ. It starts with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to our festering fear. Jesus is the answer to our fading future because Jesus guarantees the hope of glory. Jesus is the answer again. David was living this out, and now we are called to live this out when we are in spiritual decline. The stopping point, the power of this is to set our eyes upon him who causes our faces to be radiant. The glorious ascension begins as we rehearse and again live out the gospel. And the ultimate message being sent to us today When I know that I'm a child of God, at that point, the power of that gospel, it takes fear and it smashes it. It's the gospel that takes the fear of man and obliterates it. Because if I'm a child of God, if God is for me, who can be against me? You know, in Psalm 56, when David wrote this, in the cave, he says something just like that. If God is for me, then what can man do to me? Oh, to know again that we are a child of God, saved by grace through faith.